CFO Journals, a strategic planning podcast by Previdere, is the place for candid conversations about business planning and forecasting using AI and predictive analytics in order to provide more clarity in a time of uncertainty. Let's dive in. Welcome, April. We appreciate having you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, with all the economic uncertainty and a recession likely on the horizon, this is a pretty extreme time uh, and I think a great time to have a conversation that will be really valuable to our listeners. And kind of to start off, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more, April, about your background and your experience in the finance profession. Sure. I began my career at uh, Louisiana Pacific Corporation at our one of our factories right out of college as a cost accountant. And over the years, I've been there 27 years now, and I've worked my way through various roles in finance, both at the factory, at the corporate level, and also in the business team, and had a great opportunity to be the CFO of one of our subsidiaries in Tecra. So it's been a, a quite an experience. You know, I'm, I always say I grew up in the factory and that experience has helped me and served me well my entire career. Yeah. Well, yeah, starting out as accountant, moving your way up to, uh, you know, this divisional CFO or, uh, or Integra CFO is, is great. Now, when we're talking about leadership and, and finance teams, uh, the last couple of years have been unique. Uh, probably last two and a half at least. Can you tell us a little about, you know, anything that's changed um, as you've led teams over the, you know, the last two years, maybe two and a half? Definitely having to learn how to be more agile, how to, you know, do things remotely, and also ensure that the communication piece is crystal clear for folks because there's a lot of things that are lost in emails and other communications. So a lot more meetings. And, you know, one of my metrics with my team is less emails and more face-to-face yeah. meetings, even if it's on Teams or, or Zoom. And that's really helped. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, you know, were you at, say, a corporate headquarters, um, you know, and, and had your team around you typically? Prior to the, the pandemic? Prior to, yes, at LP I did. And for Integra, my teams are in California and Ireland. So I've already had to deal with time zones. I think the biggest thing for me was that everybody had to get comfortable being on video and talking and getting things done and using the tools that we had available to us. And so the thing that I missed the most about being in person was the spontaneous type of conversations that you might have with, you know, leadership that's, you know, you know, above myself or just anyone in the organization that you might come across and have a spontaneous conversation. And so with that, I, my solution there was I was setting up routine meetings with various folks, even if it was for five or 10 minutes to just, check in and say, hi, this is our water cooler conversation, or this is our meet in the break room conversation. So those have to be, you have to be very purposeful about setting that up. Yeah. And I, I know in finance, there's some pretty stressful times kind of at the, the end of the month, kind of closing the books during planning prep um, that, you know, would require people sometimes spend lots of hours um, and, and evenings and weekends at times. 
did you see a drop off in the ability to hit those timelines in finance, either in, you know, just the monthly routine closings or your planning sessions? Did they extend or are they about the same amount of time it took before? I think, you know, there's a probably two parts to that, you know, by having more communication and meetings that helped, but that was only our department. So we found that a lot of our partners that we worked with did not do the same. So sometimes we were waiting or chasing it for, for information to help us. Um, the thing that we tried to do was if we couldn't get the information, it, it helped us and pushed us to use estimates when we had to and also to try some new things and some new tools. So in some ways it was, uh, even though it was difficult, it also pushed us to still still try to meet our deadlines and you know figure out new ways and come up with solutions to, to still meet those. Yeah, well, I appreciate you answering that. It's just a question that comes to mind in my enterprise experience, knowing how hard those teams work in finance, how much time they put in during certain events I'm just wondering how that how that planned out. It seems like you've been able to overcome it. Right. No, it hasn't been hasn't been totally easy. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> My team, if they're, they're probably listening to this, is probably like, uh, it was really hard. <laughs> yeah. But we do also try to have fun and and you know try to bring in some personal elements and and things to you know uplift spirits and you know and not be too focused and too stressed out about the you know, the timelines and things that were there. After all, they are just numbers. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk a little bit more specifically about forecasting and, you know, what you guys kind of did before in the forecasting and planning sessions to kind of spearhead that. And then anything that changed, either in the process or the way that you forecast or even the math, you know, what what really changed for you and in, in your forecasting strategy during the pandemic? The number one thing that changed was how many scenarios we had. And, you know, we used to have, you know, a a rolling forecast for, you know, the next three months. Well, we were doing the next three months, the next, you know, 12 months, the next 18 months. And in each of those, having an upside and then another upside, and then maybe a couple of downside scenarios. So on average, about five scenarios for each forecast. Wow. And that that was a lot, but it really helped our, our management teams make decisions and be able to communicate properly to, you know, our vendors, our, you know, suppliers, customers, by being able to, you know, give some insights about the impacts of, of the, you know, the pandemic and also what it meant to the supply chain. I think the other thing I'll just mention for us at Integra, the very volatile lumber market created a lot of things that nobody had seen ever in the history. And so there was not a norm. Uh, You were totally operating in a, this is new every single day, every single month. And having to discuss that and, and not rely on, you know, well, the last forecast was this, every time was new. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And do you think that that's a permanent change or are there any long lasting or, or kind of changes after the pandemic that you think will stay here? Most definitely. I think that because we learned how to create those scenarios and provide them, it's just commonplace now that 
that's how we talk about things. And it provides an opportunity to have the risk and opportunities outlined in every forecast that we do. And so since we've had to do that a lot, we had a lot of practice. So now it's, it's become more of just how we do forecasting and business. And I think we're definitely better for it. Um, and I think that's across all industries right now, I would say that that's, that's important because that really does help you be a better you know, finance partner. And that's what's required to be successful in finance. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and the role of the CFO, I, I do think has changed even in my career um, to be more strategic, more of a, a business partner. You know, what would you recommend to maybe aspiring CFOs um, on how to be a, a better business partner? Right. This is something I've thought a lot about because, you know, I, I've had to learn this myself and, you know, when I was young in my career, I thought if I knew everything about every, you know, technical, you know, reporting and all of those things, that that was how you get there. And it's, it, you have to have that information and knowledge, at least of how to go get that information. But the better part is that you have to learn how to have relationships and talk to people. And so working on those soft skills and not sitting at your desk or, uh, you know, being behind your spreadsheets all day is important. So making it purposeful to meet with people and, and lots of times on their terms, too. So like the, the number one way I learned about the factories over the years is going out and walking the floor with the plant manager. That is yeah. the best yeah. way ever, because then it's two, you get two things. You get to build your relationship with the plant manager Plus, you get to learn and have your conversation and out on the floor. And being visible and uh, available as a finance partner is so important. And, and that goes a long way with your people you're partnering with because you want to see their side of what's going on. And so asking good questions and really listening. And then what it does is it inspires, at least it inspires me to come up with ideas and solutions to help them. Yeah. So it sounds like getting out there and some of the soft skills, as much as the technical skills um, you think are very important. And I would agree. Now, are there some things though in your finance teams that you do today or other teams do today in finance that you think, you know, we should stop doing that now is maybe no longer useful? <laughs> yes, I think it's, we don't need to be so perfect. We, yeah. we really need to work on that. You know, we're that's our character trait by design. You know, we're perfectionist. And being okay not being down to the penny is a great thing. And learning to, you know, understand, you know, that at the end of the day, those decimals really don't matter is important. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I think, too, it goes along, that kind of goes back to your relationship if, if you can, you know, relax a little bit on being down to the penny, it goes a long way with the people you're partnering with as well. Yeah, it's the big things that matter. I think that's something I learned in my career as well is, you know, the higher up you go to an organization, the more strategic decisions are being made, the big bets. Yeah. And it's certainly a trade of finance to, to get every decimal point, you know, yeah. exactly right. Create yeah. the next spreadsheet. 
it's got you know tab after tab of data. Uh, but by the time you're done, it it's it's one of those things we've seen in forecasting that maybe one problematic skew, you know, within your organization really doesn't move the needle, you know. But getting that that whole region or that whole business unit wrong and and their forecast wrong that really matters. That keeps the CEO and, and CFOs up at night. The other thing I was going to add to that is being able to have a conversation and and choose your battles as well. So like, you know, really expressing that, you know, there's like 20 things that we need to go do, you know, and sending an email from finance to somebody, it sounds like they've got a police report or something that here's all the things that you need to improve on, you know, try to pick on the, the big things like you mentioned. I think that's important and learning how to communicate yeah. that is important. And the the last thing I would just add is like education. I really believe that, you know, a lot of folks that aren't finance background are scared of finance. They have like a, a, you know, they're intimidated perhaps by it. And I think spending time with folks and helping them understand certain, certain concepts is, is a good thing to do. And um, I do a lot of training in the leadership team that I'm on and like just recently I did one on working capital and just really unpacked it and explained, you know, when I say working capital, this is what it means. And this is how you contribute to the goals we have in working capital. And so sometimes people are afraid to, you know, ask the question like, well, I've heard working capital a lot of times. However, what does it really mean? So I think it's good to have that uh, and just provide it, not, not to wait till they ask, just provide it as, hey, I thought this would be something good you might want to listen to. And that sounds like something that, you know, finance teams probably aren't doing a lot of that should start to do. You know, education is important. I think these scenarios help uh, also because there's some conversation about what does an upside mean? What does a downside mean? Um, and you can start talking about the business and, and those terms and, and maybe also listen to the business on some of their thoughts on, on where the business is. Right. Uh, so I, I think there are some things that we'll pick up after the pandemic that we didn't have before. Is there any other advice, you know, you would give finance professionals in their early in their careers? I think, again, I would just focus on, you know, being curious and asking a lot of questions and um, I've read some books recently that mention at learning to ask masterful questions. And a masterful question is something that, you know, it really gives a person an opportunity to open up and explain things. So really think about how you ask a, ask a question and, you know, in the way you do and what you ask will really give you a better result. So being very curious about things. The other thing is, I would say to younger professionals in finance is do not think that there's a ladder to move up in the finance organization. It's I've heard this term before in some conferences, so it's not I'm not going to take credit for it, but it's, it's more of a jungle gym. You have to be willing to try out some different things in different areas to to be more successful and, and open up your career. And so spending some time even at a lateral move is a good thing to do because it makes you more uh, well-rounded as a finance professional. 
Yeah, so you are accounting, and you know, what are some of the other roles that that you played before you became CFO um, in finance? Right. So I started as a cost accountant. I was, uh, you know, a plant accounting manager. I was a business controller. I was the Sarbanes Oxley compliance manager. I was also the um, functional controller. And in that role, I was also responsible for SAP, you know, ERP implementation and, um, you know, further furthering our, our journey there in SAP. And so, again, very different roles in the business, in corporate, in audit, in, you know, different areas really has helped me have a very broad understanding of our business and also what I like to call uh, the levers to, you know, meeting our strategy. And so I can feel yeah. like I can articulate to the people I partner with what what they can do, what their levers are to drive our strategy. Yeah, well, that, that's great. Uh, you know, very diverse background there in finance, you know, has led to uh, a role now that I think you've got uh, a good handle on. Like, we appreciate your time yeah, thank you. uh, today and your insight. And they get some some great things. I'm going to take a look for that book on masterful questions as well. Yeah. Um, but thank you again for joining us and hope you have a great rest of your week. Yeah. Um, and love to talk to you after as well and get more insight from you. Sure. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, April. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to CFO Journals, a Previdary podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep bringing you actionable conversations from finance industry leaders. Thank you for listening. Until next time.